I'm Amy Lattimore. And I'm Brian. We are co-founders of With Wellness, a wellness club for employees, where our mission is to create space for you to learn to care for yourself and those you love. Welcome to the Priorities Podcast. In a world filled with ongoing, high stress, and tough demands, how do we begin to prioritize? I mean, like, for real, prioritize who and what matters most. Throughout this podcast, we'll speak to everyone from expert practitioners and academics to everyday moms and dads. During each conversation, we'll look for observations, learnings, and insights to help us all to prioritize and deprioritize when and where we need to. And while we can't prioritize for each other, we can prioritize with each other. So with that, let's get into this episode. On today's episode, we speak with VP of People and Culture at Pros, Diane Kim, on what leadership looks like for her in the midst of a global pandemic, how she is prioritizing her team, and what it means for her to lead well and with joy. Let's get into it. Diane! (laughs) Diane! Hello! Hi! That was beautiful that we all started our conversation by singing. Um, so maybe uh, the next chapter in our careers will all be, you can't call Seriously. it a boy band or a girl band. What do you call sort of a... A band? Just a band. Band. Yeah. Um, let's start a band <laughs> together, Diane. I would love to start a band. <laughs> um, where are you? Because, I mean, I don't know. Everyone probably should know, uh, and we established this, that you are an influencer of influencers. <laughs> And one of my favorite feeds on the gram, we're not going to give, unless you want people to have it, we're not going to tell people your your handle. Um, they should discover it like the way mm-hmm. I did. Uh, but you could be anywhere in the world. Literally. So where are you today? And where was your most recent trip? Just to like do a subtle Ooh. flex and inspire all of us. So I am currently here with my dog, Rio. Hi, Rio. In our uh, Williamsburg Pros office. So I'm actually in the office today, um, and I live very close by, by easy commute. Uh, The last place I traveled to was, I'm going to make everyone jealous, I was in Lisbon, Portugal, and um, Marrakesh in Morocco, which were both amazing, amazing places. So one of my love languages, which is not a love language, is food. <laughs> tell me about, tell me about like, are you into food? Are you like, are you sampling? I love food. Yeah. Okay. So can you tell us maybe, you know, your best meal that you've had, the best meal you had at Lisbon or in Marrakesh? I'm not going to remember what what everything is called. I feel like I had a lot of great seafood in Lisbon. We also went to the mm. South. So the mm. seafood was really fresh and great. Yeah, I also had a lot of wine. Uh, hey. <laughs> That's right up my alley. <laughs> so when you're not traveling um, and perhaps when you're in the office, uh, you are an award-winning executive, Diane. Can you tell um, and educate me, to be honest with you, because I, I know you through some of the emails and the work, frankly, that we've been doing together, that we've been you know, really just an honor uh, to be able to work with you and dare I say, mm. become friends. Uh, uh, but can you just maybe describe a little bit? I mean, I know what's on your LinkedIn and, you know, VP of people and culture, but can you just maybe describe a little bit of what that is and how it connects with 
maybe your first job of being a behavioral research analyst? Like what skills you bring <laughs> from that? So, yes, I would love to. So I, I studied psychology. I love psychology. I love behavior. Um, so that's where I started my career, uh, researching behavioral research, how, you know, things like PTSD affect, you know, people's day to day. So that's where I started. But then I somehow landed in the world of people and culture, which I think more traditionally is known as human resources. But I think Mm -hmm. for the right reasons, a lot of companies are retitling or rebranding the function as people and culture because it's less to do with humans as, you know, resources (laughs) that are expendable (laughs) and more as how companies can really take a people first approach yeah. to business and through the culture that, that companies build with their employees, how they can really achieve the most successful outcomes. So I love this new rebranding of the HR field to people and culture. And I think it, it better captures what we do on a day to day. Yeah, I never really got amazing feelings inside when someone called me a resource. Yeah. It just never, it never. No, that, that never resonated for you, Brian. <laughs> no. Um, so that, so I would imagine, given the state of the world, Diane, that you know, and I do read the trades and read the news, but I mean, people and culture is everything now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, human resources. At least, you know, I used to work in, as a management consultant and. It was sort of, uh, we had a practice and it was important, but now it feels like it is central. You know, the CEO effectively, you know, becomes a part of your team (laughs) because attracting, retaining, helping people grow is everything. Are you feeling that given, you know, where the state of the world is, uh, do you feel that increased importance um, and uh, and respect um, sort of inside and outside the organization? Yeah, I mean, we're sort of center stage now. So I think I love that. I mean, um, it's it's about time, I think. And, and hopefully what I really hope happens is that, you know, more uh, CEOs come from a people and culture background. Because mm-hmm. I think CEOs, it's all about leadership and, and what better background to come from than the background of people and culture to lead a company. So I want to see that happen as, as kind of the next step or in the future. But yeah, I love it. I do think that uh, the, the function of people and culture has become much more important now, especially with a uh, pandemic and, you know, many things. And I think DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion has become also uh, more center stage than it has in the past. So I'm really loving it because we have a lot more that we can do. I mean, I can only be as effective as, you know, the lead that my leadership team is if my leadership team and I are completely aligned in terms of our values and what we want for the company and where we want to take the company, then I can be really mm-hmm. successful um, mm-hmm. in, you know, the policies and practices that we implement. But if I'm misaligned with my leadership team, then, then you know, none of my initiatives are going to go anywhere. So I think it's, it's great that people and culture is truly valued um, at this time. 
I love that you say that, particularly talking about the alignment between you and the C-suite and, you know, the founders and leaders of of the company. One of the things you talk about, you do talk about your LinkedIn that I love, um, is you talk about this idea of transforming leaders and their people into progressive nonconformist organizations. Talk to me about that, particularly the nonconformist part, uh, because that to me is... You know, or corporate America is about conformity to some to some regard. And so tell me about what that what that looks like for you. I mean, look, I I come from I'm Korean American. I come from a very kind of conservative immigrant sort of background. So I was sort of socially conditioned throughout my childhood to be very conforming and kind of stick to sort of what was expected of me, stability and those sorts of values. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I've really sort of evolved and pushed my own self personally to really think more, you know, progressively and in a nonconformist way where um, I can do, you know, really anything that I want to do. And so I just take that into my field of, of practice of people and culture to say that as leaders, we can really transform ourselves and then therefore thereby transform the company or the organization into a more progressive, you know, forward thinking um, type of a company. So I think it's important in in the field of people and culture, if you think about, you know, when HR was established after like the industrial revolution period, where it was all about productivity, just churning out the highest performance, highest productivity you could from your factory workers. Mm -hmm. Like that's when all of these HR practices and policies were were first established. And really, the majority of those things haven't really been changed since then. So that's kind of mind boggling to think about. Like, I really do think our field, we need to think entirely differently. We just need to, you know, think of it as sort of a blank slate and do things very, very differently to meet people where they are today. Agree wholeheartedly. I do love this idea that a lot of at least from my perspective, a lot of kind of what's transpired over the last few years, I want to say, within work, within home, within wellness, culture, has, in my opinion, kind of pushed us back to humanity, pushed mm-hmm. us back to who we are innately and what matters most to us. And so I think the nonconformist part is actually more of like, Let's just get back to the basics of of who we are as people. In that regard, none of us are the same. We're all completely and uniquely different. And so as leadership, particularly um, you as a leader, start to allow that to kind of manifest or even shift mindsets and approaches and things like that, you see a change. Talk to me about kind of how your perspective on conformity and change um, and humanity, you know, even given your background in psychology, how has that affected your approach as a leader um, Mm. in this space? So I think in the past, we've looked at the time you spend at work and the time you spend outside of work as two separate things where you know, whatever you are doing with your personal life, that's separate. Don't bring any of that to work. But actually, you know, the majority of us have realized, have, have long realized that that's, that's not true. You, you have to be able to bring your whole self to work. 
And especially in, in the in pandemic times, as people have been, you know, working from home and you see the children and pets and dogs in the background, like, of course, <laughs> we're, we're whole people that have lives yeah. outside of work. So I think as we've come to that realization, for me personally, um, it's about just, yeah, I mean, quite simply treating people as humans. So checking in with them, understanding how they're doing that day, how they're coming, showing up to work that day, what's affecting them emotionally um, outside of work and what they enjoy, what they're passionate about, what inspires them and truly connecting with people on a human level, I think really can go so far. Um, You have to enjoy who you work with. And if you don't understand the people you work with on a human level, then how are you really going to yeah, how are you going to even get through a day at work if you don't enjoy the people that you work with? Can you, and I agree wholeheartedly on the enjoyment piece, and I feel like at WITH we talk a lot about normalizing wellness, um, and we also talk a lot about joy. Whether you're having a good time in life or not, it's been challenging over the last, at least for me, the last couple of years, given that the world collectively is experiencing so much, right? Um, uh, where today it's war, you know, another day it's the pandemic or those things are all happening simultaneously. And I guess my question for you is being sort of at the intersection of people and culture, the most important things in any sort of team and organization, I'd love you to sort of take us back to the beginning or maybe a moment in the middle of COVID. When did you sort of, you know, was it a a conversation with the C-suite or was it with someone on your team or someone who's a part of an organization where you were like, oh shit, like things are not going to be the same. Like when did you know there was a real shift that's happening? Um, Because I think we're going to look back on this like a decade from now, 50 years from now, and be like, oh, things changed right now. When did you know? Wow. Um, Honestly, so you know, Brian, because we were working together before. In my entire professional career, as as an HR professional, I've often been on that side where, unfortunately, we have to have that conversation with an employee to exit them from the company. I've been on that side, right, representing the company and having that tough conversation with the employee. I actually had never been on the other side um, as an employee being terminated. And um, for the first time, I was I was at a, another very early stage startup and uh, in the experiential art world and COVID hit. So all of our plans to open up these experiential art centers, obviously that was not the ideal time to be in that uh, business. And so we really had to look hard first. I was the uh, people and culture, head of people and culture there. We really had to look hard at our employee base and think about our business objectives and what we wanted to do and just rethink everything. So mm-hmm. one of the things we had to do was actually furlough uh, some employees. And I was actually one of those employees that was furloughed. Wow. Um, and so I was only with them for about six months. and. And ultimately, um, I was exited from the company. And so that was really tough for me um, personally. But what I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a true believer and, you know, everything happens for a reason. And there's something else down the line. Um, why this is happening now is because something else down the line, you know, it's, it's going to impact. And so I'm a true believer in that. And I really do think it's that that particular situation allowed me to 
be a lot more empathetic about um, how I handle those conversations now because I've actually personally um, felt what it's like to be on the other side, what information you need in that moment, what's going to be helpful, what's not helpful. Um, and so that level of empathy, you know, being able to understand how that other person is feeling is super important in my field. And so that I think really has helped me um, be a better leader in that in that regard. So I don't know when I knew, um, but certainly that moment when I had that conversation with my CEO, I certainly knew things were very different. We were in a very different world. It's tough. It was tough. Tough times. Wow. Wow. And so then considering the pandemic, I mean, it, it sounds like given that you were a part of HR at your previous company, that you were actually in charge of figuring out if your job would, would, may, would stay or not, which is mm-hmm. mind boggling to me. It's like, <laughs> that's wild to think about. And so now you're at Pros and we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so then how do you take in that empathy that you've, that you've now garnered um, from your previous role how does a leader consider the well-being of their teams when the well-being of the company is at stake? When there's a huge global pandemic happening, um, there are people being let go. There's also like people trying to, you, you know, you're trying to rehire at the same time. Like, how mm-hmm. do you start to then, what, what are your steps for prioritizing your team in these moments? I mean, I think it goes hand in hand. The well-being of the of the employees and the well-being of the company, those really go hand in hand. Um, and I think there is, there is a right way to do things, right? I think you can look at things um, from a more, you know, traditional perspective of we are a for-profit company. We answer to investors. So um, our number one goal is to uh, grow our profits. Or on the other hand, you can look at things as, you know, let's focus, let's prioritize our people, let's prioritize our people's well-being, and through our people, be able to achieve our business goals. And I think that latter approach is the approach that I try to take because truly it leads to the best outcomes. It's like, you know, we're, we're all, I think, for the most part, most people have good intentions, um, but sometimes those good intentions don't lead to good outcomes. And so it's really about just making sure that those good intentions do actually lead to good outcomes. And I think you can really do that by taking a people first approach and also involving your people in some of those decisions that you have to make. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one question in our employee engagement survey is, uh, do you feel that you're part of, you are a part of decisions that impact your work? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the past, that score for that question was pretty negative. And so we've really done some things, you know, and I think small behavioral changes can go a long way. And I think um, the first step is to increase self-awareness of of leaders. But I think we've made a lot of effort to actually change that. And we've seen that that score go up. So it's about involving our employees in the decision-making and getting their ideas and their, you know, solutions to problems that they've identified involving them in doing that and not just, you know, sitting in our little corporate box here, um, mm-hmm. everything by ourselves. What does that look like practically? Are those surveys? Like, how are you actually getting the voices of your employees to yeah. the C-suite? How are you doing that? So I think um, the employee engagement survey, I think a lot of companies, um, 
you know, do something similar. Uh, and many people may not think it's it's very valuable. And that's because they don't take the next step to really take action based on the insights that you receive through the survey. Mm-hmm. So for us, we really do take action. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I've really focused on facilitating those conversations with leaders to make sure that we are coming up with, well, first of all, that we understand why we scored this way and that we understand then what the next steps are, what actions we want to take. Um, and I like to focus on just one or two things. It's really you know, difficult to do 10 things at once really, really well. I'd rather do one or two things very well than focus on mm-hmm. 10 things and not do any of them you know, mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so practically speaking, I love the approach of equity-centered design. And it's just about taking design thinking one step forward. So it's about, you know, identifying the problem uh, and then, you know, ideating quickly solutions, uh, prototyping, and then iterating, right? That's design thinking. But equity-centered design goes one step further by saying, let's involve the community. Let's involve the people that are most impacted by this problem and have them be the co-designers. So I've taken that approach of equity-centered design to involve our employees in in just workshops, roundtables, to quickly ideate and come up with solutions. There are so many great ideas and solutions out there. You just need to allow the space, create the space for those ideas to bubble up. Wow. By the way, you just reminded me of how me and Amy started with. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't sort of, I mean, equity sort of centered design, I literally, I actually want to send you the, the first deck, Diane, so you can look at it. But it was yeah. literally where we said, our first customer we went to and we said, you know what? We have this employee resource group. It's 50 people or so, mostly underrepresented, actually all underrepresented um, members. We want to ask them what they need. And in asking what they need, they said, well, we want to do, you know, they literally, we, we got sort of the one-to-one uh, notion, the, the concept around groups, the concepts around not just mental wellness, but professional wellness and all these different things came from just asking people <laughs> what they need um, and really centering their needs and their their sort of um, their desires. And so I love that you said that just because, it, you know, it just reminds me that like, it sort of, it works, you know, yeah. it's like, I think there's a lot of, you know, people, particularly, I imagine people in your position, Diane, there's, um, there's risk people might feel. Um, there's some fear that people might feel of like, oh, but what if we ask, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I think you just sort of show that there's power um, in asking uh, and there's mm-hmm. power in listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, People feel really empowered these days, which I think is great. I mean, you see now um, there's like an increase in unionization now because people are feeling like mm-hmm. empowered to go find a voice if they if they feel like their voice is not being heard at their companies. So really, it's just companies do have to listen, and we have to we have to listen, and we have to make sure that people are being heard and that we're actually taking action based on the feedback they, that we receive. Otherwise they'll leave or they'll unionize or, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different con- consequences, but, and we're seeing that um, very much. So I, I love our partnership with WIF. I think at Pros, this is, you know, one of the best investments that, that we're making as a company on our, on our people. And honestly, it's, 
it's not just in the numbers, like seeing the, the utilization increase and all of those things. It's also just in the anecdotal um, feedback that, that I hear. And I just want to share, we had a wellness event um, the other day, which was focused on care. So self-care, pair care, collective care, basically how we as people can show up for each other to care for ourselves. Um, and without any prompting, um, one of our, actually one of our DEI council members who was speaking at the event um, shared just personally how much WIF has positively impacted his well-being mm-hmm. and how he, you know, centers um, himself and, and, and how he cares for himself through, through WIF and how much insight he's gained, like gained mm-hmm. personal reflection and all that through the coaches he's met with through WIF. So just hearing that was oh, just so heartwarming. And also mm-hmm. our CEO was there and heard that. And I think it really, it clicked for him then. Um, that emotional kind of hearing that story emotionally really clicked for him why we do these things, why we invest in in the well-being of our employees. So I, I love you guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for saying that. That was totally yeah, unprompted. Um, and <laughs> and we we really appreciate it just because a lot of a lot of the work that we do, again, was very from the very beginning was for those exact same feelings of your your colleague to be able to say those things those were things that we knew could be possible um if folks had the right support system um and care and really Mm -hmm. felt like they had a place where they could go and feel safe and so that really warms my heart to hear to hear that um and i you mentioned it um in passing but i would love for you to talk about the dei council if 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 you're open to it just because i feel like that's something that is very unique um and something that I think, again, just like reiterates how how you're not just talking about it, like you're actually doing it. The DEI Council is so special. It's probably the time. So we meet on a biweekly basis for about an hour. And that time that I spend with our council is is where I find the most joy at Pros, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the most special. I love the people that we have on the council. Um, we So we established it two years ago. And, um, and, you know, I think a lot of companies say they're prioritizing diversity, they're prioritizing equity and inclusion, but in reality, there's a lot of indicators that show that they're not. Um, so it was really important to me when we established the Council of Pros that we actually do it in the right way and that we, we send the message to our employees that it, that it really is important to pros. So, you know, just simple things like, we, the council members are paid. Uh, the non-leadership council members are paid. Um, you know, it's a well-rounded representation of people from our factory, our Paris office, our headquarters. Um, and we actually we actually do things. You know, we, we meet on a bi-weekly basis and we have initiatives and goals in place. We um, take the you know, progress on the goals that we've set. And we update our employees through our, you know, monthly town halls. I update our executive team on what we're working on. So we we do actually do things. So one thing that we recently worked on was a racial pay equity audit. Um, and I actually had a sub team of the council sit down with me and look through 
you know, 45 employees, you know, names, of course, and personally identifiable information redacted, but went through one by one and said, actually, this person needs an additional increase. This person needs this additional increase. And we went through and did that. And I just really love that I get to have a DEI council that I personally as a leader can rely on as a resource. Because, you know, I don't have all the answers and and oftentimes I don't know what to do in a particular situation. So being able to go to the council and say, hey, I have this idea or I have this problem. How do you think we should go about resolving this? It's just it's it's amazing. So it's great. I love it. I love that so much. You said a few things that resonated deeply with me. Um, One, just in the simple fact of the humility for you as a leader to say, I don't have all the answers. I think to me, that speaks volumes, um, particularly in a corporate environment, particularly given this, you know, where we are in the stage of the in state of the world and the fact that, you know, you're proactively engaging your team in order to be problem solvers and leaders in and of themselves. Um, and to me that, I love that. I, I just think that you you are the nonconformist leader who are doing it and you you're doing like you that's that's the name of this podcast. Diane is doing it. That is, <laughs> that is, what it is. My cousin has this baseball cap that says doing things. <laughs> I have the same Brian at the end of this team. episode. I'm gonna put it on. It's like one of my favorite favorite hats. I love them. Doing things. Um, and there's one question to to all of that you know so much of what I understand and what you shared I think is is amazing and sounds um, like you've created a, a really beautiful and safe space for your team members and that can take a lot of energy thoughtfulness care and consideration and one of the things that we know for sure, and even one of our the last podcast, one of the one of our previous episodes, we talk about how everything literally trickles down from the top. Um, and so, for you as VP of People and Culture, how what does wellness look like for you? How are you um, prioritizing that for yourself as a leader? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I want to be clear to you know the listeners that um, prose is. is far from, from being perfect. And although, you know, we are trying to do the right things, there's there's tons of opportunity. There's always, you know, things we can do better. And I think especially now during very tough, challenging times where, you know, our employees rightfully so um, feel empowered, uh, have high expectations of what they expect the company is doing for them. Um, it's, it's tough. I think for me personally as a leader, I feel like sort of the responsibility and the kind of emotional burden. If if one employee is unhappy, I, I feel that. I feel like that's my responsibility to take care of that individual and and resolve that that for them. So it just feels um, often quite heavy. Mm. So I think what I've realized for myself is that if I'm not feeling good, if I'm not you know in a state of mental, you know, clarity. And if I'm not feeling like I'm taking care of myself and I'm not feeling inspired, there's no way that I'm going to be able to inspire my team. So when I'm feeling, you know, down or just overwhelmed with work or just, just emotionally a little bit, you know, tired, 
I make sure that I be proactive about scheduling PTO. You know, I take time off. I take, we have 25 days of PTO at, at Pros. That's the most that I've ever had at any company, five weeks. And it's great. Um, I make sure that every quarter I, I've scheduled at least one, you know, vacation time off. And I also make sure that when I do take that time off, that I can really truly take that time off and not come to come back to work with a pile of work waiting for me. Mm. So that's about my team. My team, I have a great team. Um, and I just ensure that they can take care of things while I'm gone. Um, so I can truly feel rested and relaxed when I come back to work. So for me, it's just about taking care of myself and also uh, doing things outside of work that give me joy, where I can find, you know, inspiration and creativity and that and then bring that back to work where I can really be an inspirational leader. I love that. Can can you I just thought about this and it's to be honest, it's one of the things I really appreciate most about pros and why I was excited uh, to serve you all um, as as customers um, at with. I want to talk about culture, but mm-hmm. um I want to talk about sort of big, big C culture. Um, and so as I think about pros, I think about a couple different things, uh, dichotomies. I think about office culture, and I also think about people who work uh, on the front lines in the factories. Mm-hmm. I think about U.S., I think about Brooklyn, but I also think about Paris. Mm-hmm. I think about sort of a personalization company um, and beauty, but then I also think about startup culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you mentioned it at the top of this conversation around being Korean American, right? Mm-hmm. So you're bringing certain sort of, I imagine, American culture and Korean culture. Um, can you, you know, maybe pick a couple? Like, I, I, what I thought about immediately was the differences between wellness in Europe policies in Europe. So the fact that five week vacation versus sort of startup American based culture, I have no clue what things you bring to work from, you know, Korean culture and what your family was like. But can you just, you know, speak a little bit to um, uh, your cultural experiences and how they impact how you think about wellness? Mm hmm. So that French American nuance has been the biggest learning for me, I think, uh, personally at pros. So I thought coming into pros, I had a solid understanding of different cultures. You know, I'm I'm coming from a bicultural um, background myself. So I thought I understood sort of the nuances of working in a multicultural environment. And honestly, I thought there wouldn't be too many differences between French and American cultures because they're both Western cultures. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I found out um, in the you know almost two years that I've been here is that actually they're they're vastly different. Um, and it goes back to sort of how the French education system, how that's structured and how it's so different from the way that Americans are educated. And, you know, all of that social conditioning is very important. So very different cultures. Um, I mean, personally, just from like a pure how do I present an idea standpoint in an American way? What I am used to is, you know, here's the problem. Here's the research or method I've taken. And here's the recommendation. Here's the solution. Mm -hmm. That's typically Mm -hmm. how I present something to an executive team. At Pros, I do that very differently because in the in the French context, it's about, you know, sort of what's the what's the alternative, though? And it's it's all about debate and arguing the, the other side. 
So I come in and I say, here's option one, here's option two, and then here's option three. Um, and let's have a discussion and a debate and then land on the final solution, which is so just different from how I'm used to doing things. Because I already have a, a recommendation and an idea in mind. I just want to put that forward and, and move on. But I, I just I've learned to adapt um, in this sort of a context. So that's one thing. I mean, another big thing is the expectations that employees have about the office setting. Mm. In our French office throughout the pandemic, even in the peak of the pandemic, the majority, 99% of employees were coming in every single day and were actually saying, we need more office space. So we actually just recently moved to a gorgeous <laughs> office. So they were coming in day in, day out um, and wanted to be in close proximity to their coworkers, and they enjoyed, you know, being together in a physical setting with their coworkers. On the other hand, on the U.S. side, our New York office, we're in Williamsburg, and this they they had relocated here right before uh, the pandemic hit, and so this beautiful two floors, you know, we have like the beautiful Manhattan skyline view was empty for many months, and then getting people to come back was really like pulling teeth. Like people did not want to come back, and I think you see this in all of the research out there for global companies. Americans just don't want to come into a physical office setting. Everyone else in the world are fine with it and want to actually come back. But that's the thing. So it's been a challenge, actually. Um, I mean, we can't forget about our, our, our factory, our manufacturing factory. Every day throughout COVID, they were coming in and producing our, our products for our customers. So those three different environments requires different policies and different practices. So as much as I like to, for the most part, create, you know, benefits, policies that are sort of the uh, the same across all of our employee population, mm. um, there are times where you actually have to meet employees where they are and do things a bit differently in each of those different environments. Yeah, it's been it's been a learning curve for sure. Curious as to what your personal perspective is. Oh, two questions. One does the intensity of the pandemic, did that play a role in the French employees wanting to come into the office? So was COVID less intense there? And so that that gave them a little bit more freedom to feel like, oh, I can go into this space. Or is it really just like how they perceive how they perceived COVID? Like what what do you think is the mm -hmm. difference between the American um the uh, American, uh, the the New York folks not wanting to come to the office versus the the French location, and then what do you think that says about American culture? If even <laughs> after the pandemic, people are like, I don't want to go back in there. Like, what do you what do you think that that says about American culture? So you know, as you know, Americans are very individualistic. You know, uh, and I think. France is more of a collectivist kind of culture. Mm. Um, and so I think that kind of points to why um, collectively they like to be in a physical environment with their coworkers. And, and also our French team, they're great. They love each other. They, you know, go out to wine, of course, drinks after work. They, they just always hang out together. And, and every day at lunch, as Americans, we often just eat in front of our desks and just, you know, try mm. to get work done. No, the Paris team are always taking the time out of their day, eating lunch together or coming back into the office and sitting down and, and having lunch together. So it's important for them to have that sort of 
a protected time together. Mm. Um, it was interesting also how um, the, the perception around vaccines was very different when, when the vaccine first came out. Um, in the U.S., you know, I think, especially in New York, we had a big push towards everyone getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And we offered um, a day off to go get the vaccine at Pros um, in the U.S. But actually, we found that that's illegal in, in France. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's just so many nuances that um, I didn't know I had to, you know, learn about um, before joining Pros. So, yeah, it's, it's just there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit? <clears throat> I know we'll have a few more minutes left. Maybe one last question for me. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the future of work mm-hmm. um, and how much of the future of work will include France? Because <laughs> I, I need the what team, they doing? <laughs> the, the wine, like protected time, like... I'm trying to I'm trying to join pros. I mean, in Paris, because that that sounds amazing. I mean, I'm also American, right? So like I eat at my I'm about to eat lunch at my desk. Um, I love my alone time um, and I would be bothered if people. But, you know, I guess if I need to sort of adapt (laughs) being the dinosaur that I am to the future of work, can you sort of speak into from your vantage point? What you're saying, what does the future work look like? What does it mean for wellness? What does it mean for you and and the folks at Pros? So just on a macro level, I think there's a lot of different trends that are affecting the future of work. So if we think about France and the U.S., I think um, just historically, um, it's a very employee-friendly country, right? There's a lot of uh, rights that employees have, and and there are a lot of labor law protections that employees have in France. Whereas in the U.S., I think it's more company friendly. It's more, it's more, uh, you know, employees do have rights, but it's also employment at will. Um, we can fire employees at any time, right? There's no protections against that um, or limited protections. And so I think I mentioned before the, the rise in, in unionization in the U.S. When the like federal legislation, if it's not protecting employees, then you know you seek alternatives. So you seek uh, union representation to give you a voice as an employee. So there's just macro themes like that. I think definitely affecting the future of work, and of course, pandemic and how that affects hybrid um, work models and you know employee expectations around that. But I think also in this startup world, Pros is now in its fifth year of maturity as a as a company. In this startup world, uh, in particular. I think employee expectations are very, very different. People are no longer, you know, staying at a company for 10 years, 20 years. It's just even five years is is a long time. So I think we have to really think differently about um, what does it look like to have sort of a a mutually beneficial relationship in a one-year period of time or two-year period of time between a company and an employee. and what does it look like to really care holistically for an employee's well-being? And I think now there's a lot of um, focus and, and, and the common you know, trend is to really focus on mental health, which is great. Uh, but also on top of that, I've you know, seen that a lot of trends are pointing towards like financial wellness as sort of the next step. 
and especially in a period of high inflation rates and, you know, people trying to plan for their financial futures. Um, what does that look like and what is the company's role in providing that, that financial wellness for our employees? So I think there's a lot more that we as, as companies can do to better care for our people. And all of that is, is going to come back to the company as, as, as success, right? Um, so yeah, I think there are some macro and micro trends that are really affecting the future of work. And it's all very exciting. Very exciting. I love all of that, of what you said as it relates to the future of work financial wellness that is huge um, given the context of everything that's happening today. And also just workers' rights. Again, that points to many of what you've shared in the, throughout this episode of caring for the people. And if the people aren't feeling taken care of, then they resort to get that care from elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And so thinking about that as a leader. For you, this is my last question. For you... What would you or how would you describe your priorities? What are what are your priorities as and this is Diane as a whole human person. Um, you know, how would you talk about your priorities and then what are you what are you practically doing in order to make sure they stay priorities? <laughs> um it's a big question. <laughs> I think Okay, so you know that um, I love getting tattoos, and I think ta- tattoos I see of as sort of like a representation of, you know, a different, a, a, a certain period of time in my life, and it's a good kind of um, a souvenir of that particular moment in my mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's like art on my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a t- tattoo here that says yes. joy. Yes. And... That just reminds me of sort of what I was going through when I when I got this tattoo. And I think joy is certainly a priority for me. Mm. I think um, the way that I think about joy is different now uh, than the way I thought about joy when I got the tattoo a few years back. Um, and the way I think about it is those smaller moments, you know, um, I think of myself as sort of like an emergent strategist, which is all about those small moments that lead to bigger change. And I feel like I find joy in those small moments. Like at at the core, joy is about just, you know, love and and spending time with the people you love and care about is how you find joy. But I think about the people I love in sort of a broader sense, because the reality is I, you know, by choice, I spend a lot of time working. Work Mm -hmm. is also very meaningful to me, the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And so but sometimes, of course, there are times when I dread, you know, going into a particular meeting because, you know, uh, I'm not sure how this conversation is going to go with this particular coworker. And so what I do to sh- sort of shift my mindset in those moments is to just think about how I can send that person love mm. And if I come into a meeting, whether it's a physical room or a Zoom room, with that mindset of really that positive energy of sending this person my love, then that conversation is just going to go entirely differently, Mm. just much, much more smoothly. 
So that's something that I personally do now to really think about like how we're all connected as humans. Um, Those people that we think are so different from us are actually just mirrors of our own selves, you know, and we're all connected in this universe. So I just try to think about and remind myself of those things that I truly believe um, and just, yeah, enjoy those moments day by day. I think that's what I prioritize. So I see this very clearly, Amy. That's beautiful. Diane writes a book called <laughs> The Nonconformist Organization, The Nonconformist Leader. And one of the chapters is sending your love. Mm. And that's one of the tenets on how do you be the type of leader that we all aspire to be. And part of it is mm. setting that intention and then actually sending love to one another as humans. Because after everything, you know, we're all sort of, you know, on, you know, we're, we're all just human. Um, mm. I love that. It's so beautiful, Diane. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your um, your learnings, your insights uh, mm-hmm. with us. It's it's uh, invaluable, and you've been incredibly uh, g- generous yeah. to us. Can I just say one thing, and why, again, <laughs> I think even your last statement, um, Diane, why it points to you being a great leader, because the fact that your joy is your priority and the fact that you know, there might be some instances, occasions, meetings, or what have you that you could perceive could interrupt that joy. Um, the fact that you leverage your own power to transform that situation before you even go into it, to me, just speaks to one, the level of self-awareness that you have as an individual. But then number two, the... Um, the clarity that you know that and the power that you have as a leader to actually again orchestrate what it is that you want to be the reality and so the fact that that is how you live your life to me is again just a testament of not only the leader you are by title but the leader you are naturally um and so for that i thank you for sharing that with us Thank you so much for inviting me on the onto this podcast. It's it's such an exciting topic, priorities. So I'm just excited to to hear all of the other um, speakers, guest speakers that you have conversations with. But it's been it's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you again for being here and for honoring us with your time. This podcast is created by With Wellness, hosted by Amy and Brian Lattimore, produced by Joseph Ayani. Music and graphics will be linked in the comments and show notes. Before we part ways, we offer you a moment of peace. Take these next 60 seconds to simply breathe.
about your day, remember, you deserve to be prioritized.